Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to everything you need to know about music, where tonight I am sitting with my friends, Kevin. Say what's up, Kev. Hello, Jason. Hello, listeners. And his younger brother by two years, my very good friend, Michael. Say what's up, Mikey. What's up, Jason? Gentlemen, how are we doing? Doing great. Excited? Fantastic as always. Awesome. Um, Tonight, we're going to do a podcast that I, I wanted to do from a couple of months ago. Um, and, but before we, before we get into that, let's, let's do, this is my jam. This is a segment that we do where songs that we're listening to now that we're playing in the car that we're running to working out to that are kind of hitting us for this week. Who wants to go first? Wait, can I stop you real fast? Yeah. Were you going to do a listener mail? Oh, I do have, I do have uh, two listener mails. This is, we're going to call it listener mailbag. There we go. Let me pull it up. Hold on a second. Um, The first one comes from an R stag. I don't know if that's relevant or not. Um, Says, why do you guys put the, this is my jam in the beginning of your podcast and not the end of your podcast? And I thought about that. That's a good point. I guess when you pull it up and you he and you see uh, when you pull it up on Spotify or you pull it up on Apple Music and you see what the topic is and you, you get right to it. But I think it's just um, a good way for us to say, look, this is what we're listening to now. And it's just like a little snippet and a little story before we get into the main meat of the of the message. No, I agree with that. It sounds like this guy, like he just wants to go right for the kill. Right? I know, right? He doesn't like, want to woo. He doesn't yeah. want to dance. He doesn't so, want to wine and dine. So what I just emailed right him back it. is, I wonder, that, and I wonder if I should put where the actual like the meat of the of the podcast starts. Like, oh, it starts at eight minutes. If you want to skip that, but no, I do, I think you should work for it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Second email comes from an. I don't know how to pronounce that name. Says, "What is your favorite album of all time, and why?" Really, and, that's so hard to do, right? And the reason I even bring that up is because I mean, it's such a layup question. Like, uh, you you should have an answer, but I'm I I'm curious. Do you guys have even an answer to that? Because I don't think I do. I, I uh, it's it's dependent upon the mood that I'm in, or the year that you ask me, or you know just. There's too many to say. This is my favorite, and everything else is second, third, fourth, fifth. I'm having a tough time uh, ranking things that way. It, first of all, I think I mean it's a good question, right? We listen to music, we love music, we should have a favorite album, but it, should, it, it's so we? hard. To, well, it's hard to do, right? To me, I, you know, and again, I'm a little weird. I listen to a lot of different albums, um, and I rate a lot of different albums. I think the email came from after one of the uh, essential albums that, that I think that okay. you had done. Okay. And it, w- what is your favorite album of all time? I don't know if I have a favorite album of all time. So I have a few albums that I consider 10-point albums. And by the way, I think I've mentioned this before. I don't put the Beatles in any of this because I think everything they did was brilliant. Yeah. And I don't think it's fair to judge them against the rest. Agreed. But right off the top of my head, three of my what I'll call 10-point albums, 10 out of 10. Okay. Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Okay. Neil Young's Harvest. Wow. Not Harvest Moon, Harvest, the one he did in 1972. Wow, he we just made, talked about wow, Neil. Yeah, we just talked about Neil. Okay, and then um, Stevie Wonder, Intervisions. Okay, those three to me, um, like any given day, those are always at top of mind. I think I have other ten point albums that I just can't think of right now. Yeah, but those three are definitely up up, up towards the very tippity top for me. Mikey, I think I do because I don't listen to a ton of albums all the way through. Okay, um, I have a couple. Contenders for sure. I would say Gun to My Head, Color and the Shape by the Foo Fighters. Okay. With an honorable mention to Parachutes by Coldplay. 
Ooh. Which I just listened to recently, and I told you guys. I it thought is was excellent. Fantastic. Yeah. Really, a Foo Fighters album from my... <laughs> yeah. Odd. It's hard hard to believe. I, I have said this on a couple of podcasts before. I think my favorite album of all time is Moondance by Van Morrison. I think it's the... It, and the reason for that is because side A of the actual vinyl pressing is the most perfect side A of all time. But for many reasons. And a lot of those reasons are personal because of me and my wife listening to it so much. As well as my favorite song of all time is on that. So... I don't know that it's the best album of all time, but it's my favorite album of all time. What's your favorite song? Moondance. Uh, Moondance itself. So it, itself, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Is my favorite song of all off, time. Off the album. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, anyway. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, yeah, go ahead, please. I got some listener mail. Oh, oh do you? Yeah. <laughs> all right, go ahead. All right, you ready? Yes. Okay. Dear Kevin, your friend Jason did an excellent job on the songs that contain errors in them podcast. Oh, I didn't know any of those mistakes prior, so I learned quite a bit. I was surprised how often the musicians were too early on a vocal or a rift, and the engineers kept it in. Oh, wow. There was one error, though, that Jason made himself here, and that was saying that Steely Dan made a musical mistake. They are always perfect. (laughs) Sincerely yours, Kevin. Oh, wait. That's for me. (laughs) You know what sucks is even their error... Their, their error. Even their error was correct. It is musically in time, and they left it in because it was perfect. I, like, even when they make a mistake, it's correct. See? That's so bothersome. But it, Great, great podcast. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and, but I just had to point that out. That's so, very cute. My All favorite right. Band. Let's get into This Is My Jam. Um, who wants to go first? I'll go ahead. All right, Kev, go. All right, gentlemen, this evening, This Is My Jam. Looking at my nope. couple nope. guys nope. shaking their heads. No, no, not, no. not a thing. Nope. Sounds theatrical. Very. Come on. Give it an idea of where it's from. I know you're not going to know the name of the song or who did it. No, it sounds like a movie or a soundtrack or no, Broadway or it, something. It, it's technically a soundtrack. Ben Hur? It does sound gladiator. It like, does. Yeah, it? it does. It sounds. What if I give or you like a war? Yeah, like gladiators yeah. of the gridiron. Oh, it's a, it's sports related. Yes, which is why you guys are probably not this keen or know what this is. Mikey, foot some with football, right? There you go. So this is called "March to the Trenches" by Sam Spence. I don't know this. This is from NFL Films. <laughs> Why is this your jam? <laughs> of course you were going to ask that. And of course you know I have an answer. Okay. So he's, he, Sam is most, um, most famous for composing hundreds of songs for NFL films. Wow. So his work, coupled with the deep voice of John Facenda, maybe that's why you don't know. You know he, yeah, yeah. This, this is, is the Raiders. Right, yeah, you know yeah, that? right, yeah. Um, it, and that was one so of the... So all those songs that are in the background. Yes. All com- all composed by Sam Spence. Oh, yep, that's really cool. He deserves a bit of a mention. That's cool. So, um, and that was one of the marketing tools that propelled the NFL in the sixties and seventies into what is now by far the most popular sport in the United States. I think sure. we can all agree on yep. that, right? Yep. So, but you're probably wondering. So, why exactly am I choosing this? Yeah. Not just to tell you who Sam Spence is, right? As you know, I'm very passionate about culture. The, the things I'm, that I love culturally, I'm extremely passionate about. Right. Right. Music is one of them. That's the reason I'm here and love doing these podcasts with you guys, but also the National Football League. 
And these two entities are colliding like they never have before. And I got to tell you, I don't like it. Are we talking about, you don't like it? Of oh. course I'm talking about Taylor Swift. Oh. Dating the Kansas City Chiefs tight end, Travis Kelsey. <gasps> this is so great. All right, here's the thing. This is so great. My wife and I had an argument about who's more popular. All right, well, it's Taylor. Okay. But yeah, here's the thing. Right. I, lo- I love sushi and I love chocolate. But those two things don't go together. And I'm sorry, neither does this Swift-Kelsey thing. Okay. If they really are a thing, by the way. Um, oh, you think it might be like promotional that, hype kind of thing? That's fine. And I don't need... But here's the thing. I don't need it to be spoken about at every single football game now that I watch. Every time he does every something... Every football podcast anything, that I listen to. He, they, they flash to her. If, right. if he catches a ball, if he makes some sort of de- right. decent play, if he does his job, they look to her for a reaction. Right. It's getting a little out of control. And here's the thing. I'm not so sure it's real. Even Ooh. though I'm not a Swifty, which I've mentioned here before, Should we put I, I really on our, do, like tinfoil hats for well, this. Here, like what? I really do like Taylor. I like her music. Obviously, I've talked about my daughter going to concerts. Yes, and I, I was sad. I didn't, didn't did not get to go with her. Um, but here's she's a master marketer, right? Oh, right. She's got this concert coming up here soon, like the concert movie that that's going to be in theaters across the country. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, and that's in a few weeks. And the NFL audience definitely brings her, you know, some new eyeballs that she would never get otherwise. For sure. The other night when the Chiefs played the Jets on Sunday Night Football, right. she was at the game, of course. Right. And it was a big to-do, you know. And what do you know? There was a commercial for her concert during the game. Wow. So she, and then she's getting free pub otherwise by the camera going to her. Oh, you know, for every, sure. You for know, sure. Five minutes or whatever it is, hanging out in the luxury box with Travis Kelsey's mom and other celebrities. So I think it's all calculated. My hat's off to her. Um, but can I please go back to having my football <laughs> and my music separate? Be separate. All right. Yeah. Mikey, awesome. you're next. All right. Mine's not that quite that deep. It's just, <laughs> Good. Neither is it's mine. It's just my jam. Okay. Um, but <clears throat> it is from my genre, which is, you know, 90s alternative. It's grunge related. Okay. Uh, even though the band was formed in San Diego in 1989. Okay. And it really is my jam. And Jason, I'm curious if you know this song. I was literally going to ask you, do I know this? Let's see. Okay. He's not even asking me. Is it a cover? I don't think so. No, it's not. Hang on for the lyrics. Let's hear the lyrics. Never heard this song in my life. It's not Stone Temple Pilots, right? Is it Stone Temple Pilots? Okay. That's Stone Temple Pilots? Let it, let it get to the chorus. What's the name of this song? Sour Girl. Mikey, I know Stone Temple Pilots. I never heard this song before. I figure you might not have. Good tune, though. Yeah. Right here. Never heard it. No. Wow. So I just, I wanted to, I mean, I do love this song. Again, it's on my running playlist. And I think it gives like a different side to grunge type music, right? It's a little more upbeat, even though the lyrics are a little bit of a downer. It's about his (laughs) ex-wife and being a sour girl. And then she's happy when they're divorced because she gets all this money. Oh, wow. Um but you know his voice is great. He's got a great range. He can you know do more of the 
you're not just yelling and down, yeah, you right. know, yeah. depressing lyrics or depressing. Do you like that band delivery? I like Stone Temple Pilots a lot. Yeah, me too. Yeah. What, and what album was that from? Did you say what it was from? This is from Stone Temple Pilots number four. So at oh, least okay. in 1999, oh, their fourth album, and it was the only song of theirs to hit the Billboard Top uh, Hot 100. Really? Wait, 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 wait. None of their other songs did. I th- the other songs charted higher on like the alternative rock, but never and, on oh, the actual no like mainstream. Rock. Right? Oh wow! Because their other stuff's a lot harder, right? Yeah, sure. So just wanted to show you a, a different side. How do I not know Temple that Pilots. song? It's a great song. Yeah, it's good too. All right, give it. All right, let me do it. All right, I'm going to be really quick because I'm going to get into why we're here tonight. This is my jam right now. Gentlemen, I think you know this song. This is Rufus called Sweet Thing. On lead vocal, of course, is Shaka Khan. When it comes to this genre, there's nobody smoother than her. If you guys are listening and you don't know a lot about this group, this genre, and her specifically, download Rufus featuring Shaka Khan, their greatest hits, and just let it play. It's absolutely fantastic. This came out in 1975. So that is my jam for this week. Very nice. All right. um, As we get into tonight's meet of the uh, podcast and why we're here. I still, as of now, don't know how to do this. So I'm going to ask you guys, okay. should I just tell you what I want to do, like who it is and go through it? Or do you want me to make it kind of a, of a guessing thing? But I will say this uh, in the outset, there is no way. And I know who it is. If I were to give you the clues of who it is, I wouldn't get it. Okay, and I know who it is. I still like to guess. Do you know what I'm saying, though? That's Unless you how think it's impossible. It's impossible, okay. but the, the clues, the, the, the story behind... I, okay, let me, let me back up. I knew I needed to do this person. Okay. I wanted to learn more about this person. Mm-hmm. When I found out more about the, por- the person, the story is more interesting than the actual person itself. Okay. To me. Now... If I were to give you the clues, now you might know the story already. Oh, so if you give the clues, it's going to give away the story. No, I don't think so. I think if I gave you some clues as to this person's background, yeah. as to how they, I, I don't, and, and to how they became affiliated with music and all those kinds of things, I don't think it would help you in any way. If it, I don't know that it would. Maybe it would. Right. But to me, even if you told me now, and I know it, I wouldn't get it. That's how outrageous it if is. If it doesn't throw off your story, you know we we love a good guessing okay. game. Okay, all right, then we'll do it that My way. My brother and I. <laughs> okay, all right. Then I'm going to set this up as a, a bit of a guess. Like, you guys, tell me when you know. Don't say it, but tell me when you think you know. Okay. Okay. okay? This person's father. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be as, as extremely vague in the beginning as possible, and as we go forward, I'll get a little bit more specific. I like all it. All right, okay. Yep. This person's father was an automaker. And left the family at ten when when the artist that I'm talking about was ten years old. Oh, I got it. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Keep going. So this artist became fatherless at ten years old. Uh, he was an altar boy and choir member at St. Bridget's Catholic Church, and was one of eight children okay. born in Buffalo, New York. 
Ooh. Okay. 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 His mother was a dancer and later worked as a cleaner, like a house cleaner by day, and then ran numbers for the Buffalo crime family by night to earn a living because she was a single mother. I love it, by the way. Okay. I still don't know. Okay. Uh, His mother would take him on the collection route for her to, like, pick up the money. And when she had to go into bars to get money, he would see such performers as John Coltrane, Miles Davis, and Etta James, and was blown away. Later, he said he lost his virginity at nine years old. What? To a 14-year-old girl and claimed that that's where his kinky nature came from. Can you even call that Robin the Cradle, by the way? I don't know what to say. All right, by the way, I might, I might not I guess. know that does give some away. I will say that. He was introduced to drugs at a very early age, as well as his sexual activity, and started burglarizing and uh, being very mischievous as a young teen. And due to these... Uh, crimes that he committed, he was sent to jail. But he didn't want to go to jail, so they gave him the option to enlist in the Navy at age 15. And he took that because he lied about his age. He said he was 18, but he was only 15. So they let him join the Navy. And in the Navy, he became a drummer. And learn how to drum in the Navy. Now, I don't know how you learn how to drum in the Navy. I don't know if that's an option, but that's what happened to him. It's a pretty good gig, though. Pretty good gig, right? Better than, like, (laughs) having to be on the plane or, you know. Now, so far, it could be a lot of people, right? But I'm I'm trying to maybe shape the idea of what, okay? All right. He leaves the Navy, but leaves, leaves the Navy, goes AWOL. Okay? Wow. And decides that he's just going to play music and goes to play in different local jazz clubs. And is he back in Buffalo? He's back in Buffalo. Okay. Okay. Upstate New York. And what I want to do maybe with this podcast is I'm going to play a lot of music. I'm going to play every time I mention an artist that this person is affiliated with, I will play a song so that you you kind of get an idea of who he's playing with or who he's associated with, and maybe that'll help you a little bit. All right. If we think we know, should we guess now, or do you want to you go to the I kind of want to... Give me a okay, minute. Go ahead, give, give go me ahead. just... Yeah, yeah. Give me a bit. Okay. So, he starts playing in some jazz clubs, and the first person that he actually ends up playing with is Thelonious Monk. This is Round Midnight by Thelonious Monk. This is upstate New York. Let's call it the Buffalo area. He's playing drums. And he's playing drums. Now, not on this track. This is the recording. Okay, but, no, but, but during this time, yes. But I just want to play a little Thelonious Monk while this happens. Monk is sublime. Yes, correct. Fantastic. Now, he's in a lot of trouble because, remember, he left the Navy without the Navy knowing that he left. So, he flees in 19... Here's a hint. 1964, he leaves the Buffalo area and goes to Toronto. Okay? Now, while he's in Toronto, he's 
playing clubs with a bunch of like jazz music, any any kind of bands that he can hook up with. And while he's there, he's outside smoking a cigarette and he gets beat up by three drunk guys. Okay? Yeah. Two men come to his aid and help him and those two men are Levon Helm and Garth Hudson. Levon Helm and Garth Hudson are well, the members of the band. The band. Okay? Up in, they, by, by the way, this is in Toronto. Your, your Canadian listeners yes. are going to skewer you for saying Toronto. Oh, it's, sorry. It's Toronto. It's Toronto. All right, fine. <laughs> All right. So, in case you don't know who that is, that's this. That's the band. A lot of music. This is this is now. Remember, this is the same guy. He's affiliated with all these dudes. So they invite him. Oh, you play music? Come play with us. Wait, so did this guy play on the band? Nope, okay. nope, right. nope. He's not right. playing on any of it. And in fact, this is prior to the band. This is when Levon Helm and Garth Hudson were part of the Minra Birds, and this was the song that the Minra Bird. I don't even. I don't know who that is either. The Minra Birds with Levon Helm. I don't like an offshoot of, of the regular birds. Maybe. No, no, okay. no, no, no. Sounds a little similar. No, this is just a Canadian kind of rock band of the early '60s. Okay. And Levon Helm and Garth Hudson, prior to being the Minra Birds, were the backing band for Ronnie Hawkins. Okay. Okay. So let me just play this a little bit. So he's he's on stage with all of these guys. Okay. Now. While in Toronto, this guy, the guy that I want you to guess who it is, makes friends with some of the local musicians. One of the local musicians that he makes friends with is this guy, Neil Young. One of your favorites, right? <laughs> One of my not favorites. But a, a musician that is absolutely fantastic and deserves his due. Thank you. This is Neil Young. Is this helping at all to give you an idea of who this is? So, you said something earlier that made me think I knew who it was, and now I'm really going like... Okay, I told you. Yeah. You're going yeah. off the reservation. Right. Michael? Yeah, okay. No, okay. no clue. This is Heart of Gold by Neil Young. Comes with very good friends with him. The other person he becomes very, very good friends with is Joni Mitchell. There's no way my original thought is I thought the same. You still might be right. I thought the same. This tributary that you're going down. I know. I thought the same. Totally divergent. Great tune, though. Now, the U.S. military authorities find him, hook up with him, and they send him letters and say, hey, you owe us money. You need to come back and, like, you're in trouble. So instead of going back, he just changes his name to try to avoid... Any any problems? Wow. So he changes his name. I'm not going to tell you what he changes his name to. I feel, I feel a little better there. Okay. All, of a sudden, <laughs> all right. Like maybe I know now. It. Because he changes his name, he hooks up with some people and says, "Listen, I would like to become a drummer." And Motown finds him and hooks him up as a session drummer. Barry Gordy signs him up for thirty-eight dollars a week. Him and his buddy Greg Reeves, and they start becoming a drummer. And they play, he plays on 
so many different songs. Songs that you will know. I'm not going to play them here, but songs for all of the Motown greats. He's a drummer on many of those songs. Okay. Okay? All right. While he's a drummer at Motown, he then flies out to meet with Stephen Stills from Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. So we'll play this. Light the fire. Not one of their more rockin' tunes. No, they? okay, now this is the spot back one to of a my podcast we just did. Though, but great, one of my great songs, though. Now, he crashes and lives with Stephen Stills for a month on his couch. When I tell you who it is, I don't think you're going to put all of this together. At least I was unable to put all of this together. But does this, do you, do you have guesses as to who it might be? I'm still keeping my original guess. Are you? Okay. All right. One morning while he is staying at Stephen Stills' house, he wakes up and sees this young man sitting on the floor in a lotus position, meditating. The man's wrists were bleeding, and he goes and helps him and later finds out that that person whose wrists were bleeding from self-inflicted wounds in the lotus position was Jim Morrison. Of the doors. Is this Forrest Gump? Right? How could you be affiliated with this many people? I'm I'm only getting started. I'm I'm halfway through. This twist and turns are unbelievable. Right? And the reason that happened is because the doors were opening for Buffalo Springfield at the time. Which is this. Which is Stephen Stills, of course. At the Whiskey A Go-Go, right? And Jim Morrison tricked this person into taking acid for the first time. And this person blames him for the drug habit that got him into trouble for many, many decades to follow after this. Does that help a little bit? Does that support your original? No. Okay. All right. Okay. So... He's in California, he's with Neil Young, he's with all of these guys, and they obviously the supergroup Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, etc., etc. So he then, because Reeves, the guy Greg Reeves who he went out there with, becomes the bassist for Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, he decides that he's going to go on his own. This, this person's going to go out on his own. And he forms a rock band called Salt and Peppa. Not the Wait. salt and pepper. Actually, I shouldn't have said should, it that way. Yeah. Salt, salt and pepper. Salt and pepper? I should say salt and pepper. Much more proper. Sorry. Right. And he says that he got involved with a guy named Jay Sebring to start this band. And James invited him in 1969 to a party. But he was too hungover to go to this party. And that party was Sharon Tate's house. The night that she got murdered. Oh my gosh. Wait. Yeah. What? Yeah. So, all right. He forms a band called Salt and Pepper with a guy named Jay Sebring. Jay Sebring invites him to the house where Sharon Tate is at on that fateful night, but he didn't go because he was too hungover. Jay Sebring was one of the people killed in that house. By the Manson family? By the Mansons. Yeah. By by the guy. By Charles Manson and his whole and his whole his whole family there. Yeah. Okay. So, which, I mean, right, it's him and what, four others got murdered uh, and that night. So, so, Salt and Pepper was salt, no more. Salt and Pepper was no more. All right. So, in 1973, 
this guy decides to go solo and has a couple of hits, still is in trouble legally, releases a couple of songs, nothing really goes crazy. I'm not going to play any of those songs because you're not going to know them. But before I play the songs that you're going to know, which really came out in, in April of 1978, do you have any guesses as to who this person might be? Now, let's just review, if we can, all of the people review, please. Okay, that, that he touched, all of the different bands. He played drums with Thelonious Monk, okay? He's... Going, he goes from Buffalo to up to, to into into Canada. He's he meets the band. He meets Garth Hudson and Levon Helm. He's meeting Crosby, Stills and Nash. He's sitting with Jim Morrison. He's got all these people. Do you know who this person is? Do you have any guesses as to who this might be? I have no clue. Okay, it's a weird. It's so weird, isn't it? I know it's not Johnny Barbada who no. played drums with Crosby, Stills and Nash. No, but can I tell you? Yeah, you said one word. Go ahead. They gave it away for me. That even though he took all these twists and turns. Yes. And then when you went back to Motown, I said, okay, I think I know who it is. Oh, go ahead. I do. Rick James. That is correct. That is Rick, Rick wow. James. And that w- that is the most remarkable Isn't story. Isn't that unbelievable? Because had, had you left out the 14, nine-year-old thing, I, I, I wouldn't have got it. That's, There's no way. That's the way that I felt. If somebody had told me all of those clues as to who this person is, I would never guess that it's like, Rick James. I never knew that Rick James hung out with... Neil Young and Stephen no. Stills, and he was, you know, and Joni Mitchell. That's crazy. Isn't that nuts? So, his first major top 20 hit was this. Appropriately. This is Mary Jane. Great song. Great tune. Come here, man. He's so funky. He so sold smooth. 2 million copies, launching James's career into stardom. And this helped Motown Records, which was dwindling at the time, really regain their their their, their place. Very funky. Now, this guy, I mean, think of how prolific he was with people that I don't think are even in the same genre as right. him. Just and shows. yet, that's where all this music came from. And the other thing, I had no idea he was a drummer. I know, right? A great say, drummer, yeah. great drummer, great guitarist, great lyricist. Just really cool. All right, so let's go through a little bit of of Rick James specifically. Um, Rick James's second album, which I think is really where he started to come into his own, is called "Busting Out of L7," which featured a couple of his major hits. He, he was touring at the time with two people. One was Prince. Prince oh. was opening for him. Okay. Okay. And Tina Marie. Oh, yeah. Now, I don't know if you know who Tina Marie uh-huh. is. You do? Okay. All right. So he later became a huge producer, which I'll get to. Um, during the time when he toured with Prince and Tina Marie, Prince would open for him, and Prince had these cool synths and keyboards that were totally foreign to Rick James. He didn't have yeah. any idea how these things worked, but they were tuned in such a way that he absolutely loved the sound that was coming out of it. But Prince, because he's a genius, knew how to program these things, which were really difficult. It's like programming. It's like a computer at the time. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. It's, okay. it's not just hitting the keys. I so, mean, he's, to... so he stole them. Okay. He stole the keyboard. He stole the whole no, keyboard. Literally stole all of his keyboards. Okay. And came out with the album and 
all I'm gonna play a couple of these tracks on the album and I think you'll go, oh yeah, those are Prince's sounds. So the main album in 1981 that he came out with is called Street Songs. And Street Songs, if you've ever seen the album, is Rick James holding a guitar, wearing these tall red boots leaning up against the lamppost. But listen to this. This is what put him on the map to stardom. This is Super Freak. Greatest funk song of the 80s, do you think? I'm not going to put it back. No, uh, no. Not of all time, no. but now? Only because this one is better than the one I'm going to play next. Yeah. But this deserves its due. But again, all of these synths are Prince's synths. So he just stole them and right at out the so And at the sound. end of the album, when he was done recording, he literally went to his house, dropped them off, and said, hey, you forgot your keyboards. <laughs> but my, in my opinion, his greatest song, and I've talked about it before on a previous podcast, his greatest song and the greatest funk that he can create is track one on Street Songs, and that's Give It To Me Baby. Oh, this, well, this is this is it for me. Too. This is, yeah. this, okay. this, yeah, it right, just right. doesn't beat it. But listen to the synths on this, because it's, it's Prince. Is it as funky, though, as... Super freak. Uh, or is this just to me, a better to me, song? I just I don't know. I like this groove. I think no, better. I, that's what I'm saying. The groove I think is great. Maybe there's more funk, but yeah. this song doesn't. Is yeah, so it's good. so good. And by the the video, we always talk about MTV <laughs> growing up. This video is fantastic with him with the ladies in the hot tub. I'm embarrassed oh, yeah. to say I don't know it. Oh, it's it's ter- everybody listening. Go watch this video. <laughs> it's awesome. This is his best-selling album ever. Um, he did actually afterwards get into some into some producing and became more of a producer. Like I said, Tina Marie, Fire and Desire. Um, but he produced much in the same way that Prince started producing, like The Time and Vanity right. Six. He produced the Mary Jane Girls, oh, yeah. which do you know the Mary Jane Girls? Yeah. Um, wait. Play the song. Uh, I can't wait. You do know it. All night long. Hey boy. Do you know, do you know this? There's some great fun here too. I mean, it's, that's that's that bass. Surprise for you. The other song that you I, might, I know this song, but not I don't. I know you I probably know, better, know this song. This is it. Yep. Oh, yeah. Listen to those. <laughs> right in my house. In my house. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Great sound, and he shows up on the song. Does he do some backing vocals? Yes, or correct. Like yeah, and he was. All, I mean, it, I, th- I think if you know him and you listen to his music, you you can hear him throughout all of this stuff. Yeah. Also, a great video on MTV. I don't know that one either. Uh, in 1985, he produced this for Eddie Murphy. I was, I was going to ask. I remember this one. And I'm wondering what Eddie Murphy was thinking. Did he think like, did he just do it for fun, or did he? Because I know that they were boys. They were like, they were friends. Oh yeah. Well, there I must. Mean, there was a lot of coke involved at the time. Eddie was at the time probably one of the biggest, biggest stars you know, on the planet. Stars on the I would planet, think. Right? Yeah. Like, why and couldn't I make an album? I'm sure right? he's yeah. seen other, you know, stars that 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 did songs and you know went out and sang. And 
Why not? Why not, right? So this is Party All the Time by Eddie Murphy on vocals. They definitely modulate his voice over there, don't they? <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure they fix it. I think I would guess the year, though, if somebody asked me. That's so great. It's great. It's so it, great. Um, in that same year, which is 1985. Oh, wait, wait. You're not going to oh, play? You're not going to oh, play with Rick? Sorry. Rick you're right. You're right. All right. Sorry. There he is. On the back of vocals. Right? So good. We might as well play the hook since we've come this gotcha. far out. Okay. Um, in 1985, he produced this as well as uh, appearing on an episode of The A-Team with Isaac Hayes, and he reduced, reduced, and produced his ninth studio album Ooh. called The Flag. Hang on for one second. Yeah, go ahead. He was on The A-Team. <laughs> he was on The A-Team. B.A. Baracus. Yes. Hannibal. Yeah. Face. And, and, of course, Mr. T. And, well, that's B.A. Baracus. Yeah, right. name. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. James's overtly sexual bravado made him a bigger uh, off, uh, not off camera, but kind of uh, a bigger star than he was with his music. He was more of a, not an icon, but what's the right way to say it? Like, like, like there's some today where they're, they're over the top for just the purposes of being over the top, gratuitous. So is that he, the right he, way to say? He, he was well known for being a Lothario, as they would say. Okay, that's just a, like that's Will nice Chamberlain, who oh, was okay. a great basketball right. player, was yeah. also known for his prowess with the ladies. Right, so. exactly. So he had built quite a uh, a reputation for himself. Oh yeah, and it got him into a lot of trouble. He was into a lot of coke, a lot of mar- a lot of marijuana, a lot a lot of a lot of heroin. He really got him in, arrested quite a bit. In fact, we'll, we'll get into some of that a bit. But he actually had no number one hits, which until Super Freak was not a number one. No, this was though. Because he has writing credits. Because he has writing credits. This was his only number one hit. That is like the saddest thing I've heard. Not saddest. And he had to. And he had to sue to get it. Wait, how now this goes back to what we've talked that, about yeah, okay, a, a okay, bit, okay, which okay, is yeah. which is a lot of do they have the proper permissions or not, and what's sampling, what's stealing. This is his only number one hit, and he had to sue to get a writing credit. Uh, that's isn't that weird? Yeah, yeah, it's very strange. I mean, so yes, yeah. this is Super Freak as in the background, but it is it is the the driving force of the song, right? Yeah, I mean, it is the whole beat, right? What what, yeah. what is it without that? I mean, that's what you hear. Right. It's odd. So this was 1991, and he also received a Grammy for Best R&B Song. This was the only time he got a Grammy, right. was through was through MC Hammer. Good stuff. Yeah. Do, do you know how high Super Freak went? Do I don't. I okay. don't have it. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it went pretty high, but I had to be at least top 10, I'm guessing. Yeah. Right? So yeah. I, I have one question. Please. So as he came out with his albums and became successful, did right. he ever play the drums again or was he just no everything was synths yeah everything was computerized he was really big into digital electronic music like really big and one of the pioneers of it many people came to him to produce and i'm not even talking about all the albums that he like contributed to right he was huge into that in fact maybe a better not better a bigger producer 
and like engineer than he was a, a, an artist himself. Yeah. So wait. Yeah. Did he figure out how to do it on his own, or did he keep stealing Prince's uh, sense? <laughs> or probably figured out how to do it on okay, his good. own. But yeah, that whole album was all Prince's stuff. Um, then in 2004, he had a bit of a resurgence. He got into a lot of trouble with drugs, and I don't know if I should talk about you know too much of the stuff that happened. But I mean, there was like uh, kidnapping. <laughs> and like a lot of stuff Wait, went bad he, in he his got life. Kidnapped or no, kidnapped he kidnapped. Or yeah, kidnapped he got into okay. a lot of trouble. They got into a lot of trouble, and then he kind of like f- fell away for a little while until 2004, when Chappelle kind of uh, in in the Chappelle show brought oh, him yeah, back yeah. through his yep. skits and made him this like new. Uh, newfound fame, which was which was really cool for for all the younger people, for all the younger people that had you know, no idea who he was, didn't listen to and, that that and, album and, back and in the day, and then brought and brought him back. Yeah, he actually died unfortunately uh, when he was fifty six years old uh, from pulmonary failure and cardiac arrest. I say heart attack, right? Yeah. Yeah. He had diabetes, and in his uh, he had he had a pacemaker. He had I mean he had a lot of stuff that was going on in his body at the time. There was Xanax, Dizepan. Some other stuff I can't pronounce. Hydrocodone, chlora something or other, other methamphetamines, cocaine. There was a lot of stuff going on. This guy had some some major drug problems. Big cocktail, yeah. Big cocktail. He has been sampled 622 different times, 82 covers, 13 remixes. However, one Grammy Award for You Can't Touch This. You Can't Touch This. You Can't Touch This, yeah. Um, the American Music Awards gave him Best Soul album in 1982 for street songs but those are the only awards that he won now the main reason i wanted to do it is because after doing or the reason i wanted to do rick james was after doing the um post disco funk episode mm-hmm. he is all over it like it, that is his genre that is where he yeah. really yep. shines and i didn't know too much about him and after digging into some of his background i couldn't believe how much of music he was kind of a part of or at least present for and I was shocked of all the artists that have nothing to do with post-disco funk have nothing to do with R&B have nothing to do with disco have nothing to do with any of the genre that he represented and I guess I'm fascinated with just how he found a lane and kind of went down it yet was affiliated with all these other members of music from Thelonious Monk to Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young to The Doors which have nothing to do with it and yet they're all kind of encompassed together in a, in a weird way and i found that to be really interesting and and for it to be rick james <laughs> i was just shocked by that terrific story it's yeah it's a, really it's so a really cool story. I had no idea no no clue right i will go out with a song by rick james that i think is absolutely awesome and it's going to be this a song that he did with tina marie on his street songs album this is called fire and desire and this is Actually, a really, a really big hit for him, but it shows, I think, the slower side of his disco, soul, R&B kind of funk. This is Fire and Desire by Rick James. Wow. <laughs> it's really good to see you. So sweet. Right? And so with that... I will say, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Well, I've just been doing the same old thing I've always been doing. You know, I've got a new lady now. And it's a little different than it was when I was with you. You know, I think back to when we met. 
way I used to be. 